you know, uh, really, I remember making a commitment when I was about 16 years old to, that I really wanted to follow Jesus. Graduated from college. I mean, I got married, and my husband and I went to our first church to pastor. Mm. Uh, and um, I looked at that, and I thought, well, I can do everything. I can play the piano. I can teach Sunday school. I can do this. I can do that. You know, all the things I could do and make it happen. But it's interesting because it wasn't long until I found that I really disliked doing all those things. I was a teacher, school teacher, so I taught school because the church didn't pay enough money, of course, and so that supplemented the income. But I found I didn't like church. I didn't like the people. I didn't like to go to church, and that is a problem when you're the pastor. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and I, but I, I kept thinking, but I know everything there is to know. I know all the rules to follow. I read my Bible every morning, kind of tick off, you know, I've done, done my devotions. And um, I well remember coming in from school one day, and the Lord spoke to me. I was washing my hands in the bathroom and out of the corner of that bathroom and said, you need to get your spiritual life in order. Mm. And I thought, well, a spiritual life, I know all about this. I don't need to learn anything. But I was constantly unhappy, just a grinding in my own soul and spirit. There's something missing. There's something more. Well, to make a very long story short, I ended up in the hospital. And while there, my husband had always wanted me to read Catherine Marshall's book, Beyond Ourselves old book out of print now but i didn't want to read it because i thought i knew everything what, what more is there to know you know so i asked him to bring it in to me and i began to read it and that chapter on ego slaying and began to see wait a minute i need to confess my pride my arrogance my self-centeredness all of those sins and uh anyway i was released from the hospital didn't have to have surgery and i say that God did surgery on my heart instead of my stomach, uh, came home and I just started really became hungry for God in ways I had never been hungry for God. Mm. Uh, and um, I remember then when just began to read and search and went Wednesday night prayer meeting, went to prayer meeting. And I never liked to go to prayer meeting because the people all said the same thing every time and I disliked <laughs> all of it. Uh, but I went that night and, you know, you never know when God's going to show up in your life. Mm. And we were singing an old hymn, Hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. And the Holy Spirit just touched me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. And it was not only that emotional experience, but it was the infilling of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, which results in love. And that night I had love for those people such as I had never had before. Mm. and uh, I wouldn't be here today had not that taken place. Mm. So that became that huge turning point, and I believe when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're filled with this love that uh, is only the love that comes from God. Uh, someone recently did a study of all of John Wesley's sermons, read all of them and studied them all, and it was a professor from Asbury Seminary, and he wrote, after I read all of John Wesley's sermons and studied them, Love came through like a tsunami, mm. and that's what I believe the Holy Spirit does in us and continues to fill us, that we have love uh, for people that we cannot muster up ourselves. He gives us that love. Mm. What a wonderful encounter. And and what age was this? I was 23. Tell us a bit about your, your the next step in the journey for you. Well, I, it's, a, it's a long, long journey, uh, and um, I continued on. I did really felt as I began to study Wesley and to study the scriptures. And of course, I went on to the 
graduate degree in, in counseling psychology and then uh, on work in historical theology. But um, uh, as I studied Wesley, I saw this great connection between evangelism and social uh, holiness, that God calls us for people certainly to come to him, but he also calls us to uh, the transformation of a whole community and a whole society. I love Wesley's words where he says, spreading scriptural holiness to reform a nation, Mm. Uh, because holiness does that when it's lived out. Mm. Um, And so I did much work, and we lived in uh, Kansas City, Missouri at that time, and it was also during a lot of turbulence in the streets and and so forth, and did a lot of work there just in the secular world and continued on in many other ways. So that's been, I guess, part of my journey has been, uh, I worked with Ron Sider in uh, starting an organization called Evangelicals for Social Action, and uh, done a lot in in those areas as well. I also uh, taught uh, church and society at Asbury Theological Seminary. So I've continued on to do a lot of those things. So then um, I really felt I've done a lot in uh, overseas. I was with an ABC News team filming a documentary on the famine in Ethiopia in 85. That became another turning point in my life that when you're there with a team, a, a, a news team, you don't, you are just with a lot of Christians, and you really get a, to see who's there. And I mm. realized not many Christians were there. A lot mm. of secular people were there helping, but not many Christians. And I came back to the States and said, where are the Christians? Where are they? I guess they're all at home praying for parking places, you know, <laughs> not caring about the world. So that was a, a really a, a turning point. And so anyway, it was through that experience and so forth that I sensed God calling me to, and I know they're, you know, world vision and all of these, but yet there was another piece, and particularly to come alongside the Wesleyan Church, and in the countries where the Wesleyan Church was, to really begin to work on issues of justice and and uh, economic development and community development and helping people to uh, be able to sustain themselves, and that's God's plan. So um, ultimately, I didn't start it until 1996, mm-hmm. and started in a parsonage bedroom. I mean, just that no money, but God provided the money, uh, and it's continued on. And we ultimately, in 2000, moved to Washington D.C., and that's the same time that George Bush came in as president and started the faith-based initiatives. And so it's kind of on the cusp of that, and so it conti- it continues on now. World Hope, of course, it continues on. So in 2008, I was elected to be the general superintendent in in our tradition. That that term. Some traditions use the word bishop uh, of the Wesleyan Church denomination worldwide, which was quite a journey. Uh, I was the first woman to have ever done this, and um, and God helped in wonderful ways. And so I did that for eight years. Uh, then, um, since 2016, uh, the denomination asked if I would stay on as an ambassador mm-hmm. to the Wesleyan Church, and so that's what I'm doing. I have been in a lot of various networks and God's open doors in uh, many places. So they asked that I not, not lose some of those footprints. And so that's the kind of thing I've been doing mm. and then continue to help with world hope. Well, I just love the heart of World Hope, and uh, mm-hmm. I know that uh, Ruth Thomas, who her and her husband yeah. Dallas used to be my youth leaders, so I know them quite well. Uh, yeah. They've been uh, very much involved over the years as well. And you know, uh, tell us a bit about the heart behind World Hope. The heart was that this is the heart of God, <laughs> mm. and I think I, I will remember 
when I was in Ethiopia that time that I began to look at this and I began to think, yes, we, these are people who are starving, literally starving to death. I mean, a woman fell at my feet dead from starvation. And that really hit me hard. This is a mother of four children and I have four children. And I thought it isn't, yes, we can bring people to Jesus and they can accept Jesus and we want them to, but God cares about the quality of their life as well. And, uh, so it began to, the opportunities and the dignity and the hope. This is all part of God's plan. That's, that's what he want, wants for all of us. Uh, and so part of that is our sharing in our, in the plenty that we have. We need to share that this happens uh, around the world. And it isn't just charity. Mm. It is about people giving them dignity. So we started uh, microfinance programs, uh, for people to start their own businesses, uh, We've done a lot of ag- agricultural work that people can raise up and do do their own, you know, take care of themselves and their families and all of this. We're very involved also in uh, the war in Sierra Leone mm. um, and uh, Sierra Leone, West Africa, when that civil war was so bitter. Uh, and opened, God opened the door in miraculous ways for us to work with people who'd had their hands and arms cut off. Mm. And uh, one of the things that was very fascinating, he opened up an amputee care center in Freetown, took care of hundreds and hundreds of thousands, actually, of amputees. And God brought in some very interesting people to work with us, people like I would never dream. But the thing that I loved the most was out. the word on the street was, go to the World Hope Center. God is there. That is beautiful. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, when Christians get out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, we, right. we bring the kingdom. And, uh, you know, I just love World Hope, uh, obviously uh, doing work in uh, in Africa, as you mentioned, but also in Papua New Guinea. Uh, yeah, exactly. Also uh, very much involved uh, in uh, other parts of Asia, uh, including Cambodia. Now, Cambodia is a place I've been to a number of times and it's very dear to my heart. Tell us about the work uh, about human trafficking in Cambodia. Yes. Well, the first time I was in Cambodia was right after I started World Hope. It was in 1996. And... Uh, Human trafficking was rampant at mm. that time. And I'll never forget walking down the street. The person that had taken me there said, a few years ago, there were 3,000 children there. Today, there are 15,000. We don't even know what to call it. And really, in 96, the word human trafficking wasn't even very popular. I mm. mean, people didn't talk about it. And I'll never forget walking down that street. And I had two other women with me and the missionary that was with us. And as we walked down, I... I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. Mm. There were little white, little um, wooden structures with white chairs, and these children sitting in these chairs for sale, literally for sale. You mm. just pick them up. So we stopped at a corner, and finally just said, "We can't take this." And we held hands and prayed. And, and as I say, it was three old ladies and a tired old missionary, <laughs> uh, a weak prayer group, but a mighty God. Mm. And we prayed, their Lord. In the face of this evil, what do you want us to do? Mm. And you know what? I think, Matt, many times we, we're so afraid of the evil, but God has said we overcome evil with good, which is God. And and we're afraid to pray against the evil. And says, Lord, this, in the face of this evil, what do you want us to do? Mm. But little did I know how God would would work with that. And so came back, and I had taken a, pictures, a couple of pictures. A pimp came out, tried to get my camera, and I was able to keep it. And then uh, wrote a story about it and and put that picture out, and people began to respond, and God began to do marvelous things and opened up. So we started the first uh, first um, 
assessment center there that children that were rescued from the brothels would come directly to us. They so we maintain we did that for like seven eight years, and that was uh, the State Department in the states actually helped fund it as well. Mm. But now these last few years, the trafficking has really decreased significantly, and we were the first some of the first ones there to begin to work on this in in uh, in significant ways. Now we're working in gender-based violence, but now we're doing uh, agricultural work in, uh, with mushrooms. Uh, and the mushroom, now families now are involved in growing mushrooms and getting them to market and all this. And we've got several hundred families involved in this now, which is bringing families together, men and women working together in this, seeing hope and trafficking not happening because the family can stay together mm. and the children are going to school, et cetera. So those are some of the things that... Uh, that we're seeing, but I, I go back to that prayer because I had no idea what God had in mind. And actually, we'd moved to Washington, and I didn't know George Bush was going to make a speech at the UN about trafficking. And I was immediately brought into the White House on discussions of trafficking. They put up a division of the State Department on trafficking. I was a part of that, and and World War was a part of that. So God just opened doors beyond anything we could imagine in that. It's been great to see the growth of World Hope and the many nations that are now yeah. being impacted. And uh, it's been wonderful to be able to hear your story today. Uh, we've been chatting with Joanne Lyon, who is the founder of World Hope International. If people want to find out more, the website is worldhope.org.au. And uh, you can also uh, uh, see uh, a bit of uh, the, the work they're doing in many different nations. Uh, Joanne is also the uh, former general super- superintendent at the Wesleyan Church uh, based in the U.S. And uh, it's been so good to hear your story today. Uh, I've always... Uh, had a soft spot for the Wesley Methodist Church ever since uh, coming to Christ at a young age uh, at a Wesley Methodist youth camp. And uh, just really want to thank you for sharing a bit of your story. Uh, Joanne, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. My privilege to be there. Thank you very much. And God's blessing to you. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.